um, my name is Al Maven, or Alice Maven is probably my my given name to me, Alice in Wonderland. Um, I'm the founder of AgriShots, which is kind of like the giddy images of uh, of the ag industry. So I'm all about telling really great stories about our agriculture industry and improving the perception of you know how people think uh, agriculture is and, and what we do out there in the bush. There you go. Another, another professional intro, mate, from uh, our guests. So obviously you've done this. I a just few made times. that up. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you, you obviously you, you've spoken a few times publicly because you just just rolled off fairly easily, didn't it? Well, we're not we're, we're not doing any fact checking anyway. This is a this nah. is a this is a fact free zone. You should podcast. actually you should act. The best thing to do is ask Chat GPT about me. It's amazing. They they compare Shutterstock and AgriShots and they absolutely give me a mint review. Oh, that's all right. That's yeah. a, is it, we get into we get into AgriShots in a little bit because it's an interesting thing what you're developing there. Um, but before we do, Andrew, we've got, well, we've got we've got complaints, criticisms, and comments. Criticisms and comments, and I did get one. I've from got our I've last... got I've, I've got some as well actually. So so all right, I'll I'll start with this one because this one's a quite important one. Um, from Kath Sullivan from our last podcast with Clint Jasper. Oh, oh yeah. Um, she was very quick to send me a message to say she was disappointed in our portrayal of her and was kind of suggesting there might have been some slanderous intent. So we have to, and she said, if we're going to make an apology, Andrew, we need to make sure that it's authentic. Offensive. So, I would like to confirm, I apologise. I do not believe that... Uh, Catherine Sullivan from the ABC is a shill for big fertilizer. No, and I concur with that statement. I apologize that if we made that seem to be the case on our last podcast. She is not a shill. No. Wink, wink. Uh, I got so that was a complaint. Uh, yep. Feedback. Uh, good morning. Listened to your water podcast this morning. The ones where you talk to your pals are the best. And who's that from, Auntie, Auntie uh, Julie? Anonymous. Oh, really? That was it. Was sent in as an anonymous request. I thought you put on a Scottish accent, so you're giving us a hint that it was from somewhere back. I'm not putting on a Scottish accent. This is, (laughs) and it's Irish anyway. It's not Scottish. All right. Okay. Uh, Let's get into the six. Oh, oh, I did get. I did get one other one. No, I can't say that one because it's too many expletives. Oh, that's definitely from Scotland. (laughs) Right up. Six Six cents. Yeah, now Alice, you know the draw. You've heard a couple of our podcasts before, so we don't need to explain what we're doing next. We're just going to start. Do you want to go first, Andrew? This time, I'll take. I'll keep note. I think we should change it up. Actually, Matt. Sorry, just before we go, I think what? we've got to actually take away some of the questions, the standard questions. Like, I think really? Got to, yeah, I think we've got to remove Crocs uh, because Bob Cutter's answered that one perfectly. <laughs> uh, I just feel that people are getting too prepared now. All right. Okay. All right. The Scottish accent. What is your your first thought that comes into mind? Oh, my first thought that comes into mind is... Now this could be really awkward. Yeah, it's really <laughs> awkward. <laughs> I went on a date with a Scottish guy once and he spoke so fast I couldn't understand him. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that problem all the time. Uh, what about self-publishing? Uh, the local library and a photocopier with some staples in the side. <laughs> what about presenting? Um, 
I'm not Tony Robbins. How could I possibly stand up on stage? <laughs> Haggis. Ugh. Rank. Oh, dear. Obviously a bad experience with that Scottish, Scottish. guy. You're I'd probably say Scottish. <laughs> Haggis Scottish. <laughs> Rural urban divides. Oh yeah, that's a that's a tough one. It's um it's why I do what I do. The visual portrayal of agriculture. That's a bit specific. Yeah, that's really specific. That's um, really, really targeted. Well, it, you know, we're, we're that's what we're about to hit, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and I feel like you're leading me into something. For me, it's all about you know authenticity <clears throat> and not being choreographed and being real. Very good. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, for those that do listen, Andrew, the, the sixth sense is a way for us to start to draw out some information and think of what we're going to ask next. So you've got to start to direct it. Don't yeah. you? People, people yeah. think it's just a game and a bit of fun, but it's... No, we, it's, we, it's, don't, do, we don't do anything without a reason. We're very, it, very precise. It was. Uh, it started off as a warm-up thing. It did work well. Mm -hmm. I tell um, you what, it puts you on the edge of your seat. <laughs> <laughs> what am I, I going to get? I think that I think that I think we do have to mix it up so it's a bit more. All right, but we've got to still sometimes go back to the old. Well, I'm not float. I'm not talking about Crocs anymore until they start sponsoring us. Okay, that's a fair point. That's a fair point, and we need to get Packed and Park back on as well at some stage. Yeah. Have another chat with we'll Jim. Get some, we'll get some more freebies. I, I don't think I could be friends with people that own Crocs. I'm definitely not a Croc person. Oh, uh, see now, if we had done Crocs and well, we did Haggis and and Alice failed the Haggis test. And now she sounds like she would have failed the croc test. It would be very short. It's going to be a very, very short, short podcast. podcast. <laughs> um, but I would say that if you actually go into any city now, you will see all the young kids wearing crocs. So mm -hmm. they are stylish. And I've been wearing crocs them. Crocs and socks at the same crocs time. Crocs and socks. And they are fashionable. <laughs> all the young kids wearing <laughs> You sound like you're about 70. Rocking out, rocking out with your crocs out. That's what it's all about. Just be, just be careful how you say that. It's where they it's when they wear them to a wedding. That's when it really oh draws the line. It's, well, it's no it's, dre dress dress crocs. That can be quite expensive crocs these days. Those crocs ones like are expensive. Crocs are ninety dollars. Yeah. yeah. For the third line ones I like. Crocs are in soft. Australia as what red band gun boots are to Kiwis in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. So Alice. Would you put it Al or Alice? You can roll with whatever. Yeah. With whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Stephen. I'll answer, I'll answer to that. <laughs> so Al, the you had a bit of a story. Tell tell us a bit about your story with the horse. Yeah. Um, so when I was uh, when I was fifteen, I had a had an accident off uh, off a horse and spent um, three weeks in a coma. Um, I learned to had to learn to walk and talk again, and uh, I learned really well a second time round. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's, that's, that's a that's a significant accident, right? So was this this is back home in New Zealand, and was yeah. it just like what was it like some kind of competition thing you were doing, or what? I, I was, was, yeah. was going to make an inappropriate comment there, which I'm going <laughs> to do for anyway. all for inappropriate comments. I was going to think if it was in Australia and you learned to talk again, but you ended up talking New Zealand. It's like when those people end up talking French or whatever when they come out yeah. of coma. Yeah. But it, but it did happen back home in New Zealand. I could claim that. You should yeah, say no, that. You should, that, that, should be, that should be you should say, you should say You should say, I was born in Toowoomba, but um, just yeah. after the accident, I, I just started speaking with a New Zealand accent. when I. Yeah. When I, <laughs> but they, they, so they, had, they had round a twist on in the uh, 
in uh, <laughs> or was it Shotton Street? That's the other Kiwi. I'm trying to. I'm running out of Kiwi programs. The 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 challenge is when I go to New Zealand, which isn't that often because it's it's not one of my favourite places. Um, everyone says I, I'm an Aussie, so you wouldn't you wouldn't believe this, but I get the same when I go to Scotland. People sound I say I sound like Alf Stewart. Yeah, right. <laughs> whereas, whereas here, at least it's not Rolf Harris. Um, <laughs> no, you just you just, just act like him. Say that now. Oh, not anymore. It's not. It's not just fun and wobble boards and drawing anymore. Oh, serious stuff. I meant the artistic temperament. Um, the- so going going back to your question, um, yeah, this accident did happen uh, in New Zealand when I yeah. when I was young. I was uh, very very competitive in the in the horse world, um, and I was at a in an eventing competition. And um, it's not like a jumping jumping thing, was it? Or yeah, so yeah. Uh, cross country side of things, and um, the horse I was riding um, flipped and landed on my head. Oh Jesus! I remember nothing. I remember nothing from life before that accident. Um, so I've sort of had to piece a lot of things together with photos. And um, I actually, you know, really buried it uh, under the carpet for well, a good 15 years of my life, actually. Um, I just didn't want to talk about it, mostly because I didn't want sympathy. You know, when I when I got walking and talking again and got back into life, um, I just I didn't want people to go, oh, you're just saying that because you've got a head injury. And I just wanted to get on with my life and, you know, do what I wanted to do. So I never spoke about it, never looked at it. And it wasn't until I wrote my fifth book that I actually called the hospital um, to see if they could dig out my medical records from the accident. And then I found the doctor that was there on the scene that resuscitated me the first time and then the second and the third time, you know, in the coming few days. And I managed to uh, get hold of a lot of people that were there at the scene of the accident and get their version of events. So that was pretty confronting to to listen to them because they all had their own version of the story you know it was a long time ago so they're digging it back up and I've got no recollection so I just had to listen to these people tell me about what happened that day and how so, I was in the face and so so it was more it was more than just you were in a coma and you had to you know go through a, a long pathway to learn to walk and talk again you said there just a minute ago you were resuscitated three times yeah, so that's 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 as in you you passed and then you've had to be brought back. Yeah, bloody hell, yeah. Bloody hell. But you don't re- obviously you don't recall any of those episodes. So you, you, have you, you guys watched that? Have you guys watched that show on Netflix called The OA? About no. the guy, about this guy who abducts all of these people who have had near death experiences and then he tries to repeat it on them to find out where they go and what happens. No. <laughs> No, no, I, missed, I, I, missed I that watched one. it to see if I could work out where I went, but I came but up you, with nothing. Yeah, you don't recall. You don't recall a lot of that time anyway, None right? So, so you yeah. were, the only the only thing I really have such a vivid recollection of is when I woke up, and the doctor said, you know, I had this thing in my mouth and everything, and the doctor says, you know, she's not going to walk and talk again. She's going to be a cabbage. She'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. You're going to have to. Stay. And you're sitting there. You're sitting there listening to it. I'm lying there in a bed, and I oh, can Jesus. hear this, and I can't move. And I'm like, no way, this is not happening. And and but I couldn't get it out. I couldn't say anything, right? So how how long was that? Because there, there was a movie that I saw. It's a foreign film. I think a French one about a guy that suffered. There's a certain type of stroke you can suffer. Where you get they call it locked in syndrome. So you're you're there conscious totally, but you can't move at all. And yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Not the diving bell and the butterfly, but something. 
can't remember now, but and all he could do was do move one eye, like blink once with his yeah. eye. That was and um and he actually wrote a book like that. They end up devising with his nurse some kind of way that he could, you know, did, say so he did it letter by letter and wrote a book. And then this movie was made of him. But he he was in that for a number of years, this locked in stroke syndrome. Um, but it'd be a bit like that. You're just laying there hearing everything but not being able to do or say anything. Yeah, well, and there was there was a guy that was in hospital at the same time as me that was a sort of a similar age, and um, he'd had an accident off a skateboard. He'd fallen off a skateboard at the skate park, and he was cactus, absolutely cactus. Anyway, as time went on, I started to be allowed to go back to school and do a day at school here and there, and the rumours were rife. I'd lost a leg, I'd lost an arm, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And um, one day I came back from you know, being able to go to school for a couple of hours and this this guy had had gone, he'd been dismissed, you know, and I said to the nurses, well, where did he go? And they said, oh, you know, he passed because every morning you had rehab and you had all these, you know, things you had to do. And he said, oh, he passed his rehab test, his memory test, and he got to leave. And I went, I thought, is that what you got to do to get out of here? Like for me, it was a prison. I was like, righto. So next morning I got up, I went to rehab and you had to have, you know, they gave you three things and it'd be, you know, coffee, laptop, plant. And then you'd go back the next day and they'd say, what were those three things we gave you yesterday? And I could never remember, like no memory whatsoever. And um, and so the next morning I got up, I went to rehab, got it wrong. They gave me the three things. And all I did was run those three things through my head until I got back to my room. I wrote it down. Next morning I got up, I showered, I packed my bags. I looked at those three things and said, take me to rehab. And I went to rehab, rattled it off. And they went, you're not going anywhere. We know what you've done. <laughs> So how how long was the how long was the process? This wasn't you're not talking a matter of days or weeks, are we? Months, yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. So I pretty much missed all of my school certificate year of school. Yeah, fifth form, which was a there was a big year in New Zealand for school. Is that like seven, seventeen years old? Sort of. fifteen. Yeah, 15, 15, 16, 15 okay. and sixteen. Yeah. And healthcare system in New Zealand's free, isn't it? There's no charge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it it was good apart from the fact they tried to feed me fish fingers a lot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it, actually towards the end of it the next thing that then happened for <clears> me <throat> was that I got so skinny I was like anorexic because of the crap food they would feed you in hospital that that was then the next reason they wouldn't let me go no, oh, not, on yeah. I'm like feed me some McDonald's then <laughs> or some fish and chips <laughs> I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> we nearly, we nearly tried got to. it. She said, she said fish fingers before. We nearly got it aside. Um, so, 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 did, did it, sorry, did it change your perspective? Like, that's a massive thing for like a 15 year old, or anyone to go through, but like a 15 year old, when you, there's a lot of changes for any teenager anyway at that sort of age. Did that make you have like a different perspective on life? Or, yeah, absolutely. Did, like, did it mature you? I, I think so a lot. In fact, I actually look at it, I've done a lot of personal development work and a lot of, you know, heavy, deep work looking into all of these things for myself. And I'm at the stage where I'm grateful that that it happened and it happened when it happened because, you know, I came out of that and I went, I've been given, given a second opportunity here to really have a go at life. I am not leaving any tone, stone unturned. I am just having a real crack you know I'm here to make a difference to leave leave my stamp to do my bit so you know really just jump into anything I do but even now when I travel and I'm going around Australia and doing what I do I meet all these people who say 
they'll be in their you know 50s 60s 70s and they say oh yes my husband or my wife had a heart attack or a stroke and we suddenly realize that life's too short to work for someone else and you know not do these things so we're out here seeing Australia now and I'm like well that's wonderful but it's taken them till they're 50 60 or 70 to work that out you know, I got to work it out when I was 15. So I just, I'm grateful that that I had that. Um, and I often look back and I think, who would I be today if that didn't happen? You know, who would I be today if all of the, I mean, that was the first accident. I was then hit by a truck and, you know, like it's it's the one of many, <laughs> but we don't need to go into that. But all of those things make you wake up and be present in the moment and appreciate life for what it is. And you know, when when you're fearing something, it's like just have a go anyway. Can I just ask and, my my question here? Actually, I just what don't smile. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure there's a setup coming here, but anyway, I'll, I'll play the game. So in ten days' time, it's oh. special. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it's a special day for Matthew. Mm-hmm. Matthew hits fifty five years old. <laughs> no, not quite, <clears throat> but it will be my birthday. Thanks for telling all the podcast listeners that all four, all four listeners yep, yep. jump out of a plane so mm, oh, i won't be so, doing that but do you feel matt like now that you're getting of an age now i'm on and i'm the other end other side of 50 only but, just barely yeah did you start feeling that you need to experience more in life that you know life's passed you by there's <laughs> there's more there's more behind you than in front of you like i'm curious <laughs> because there's a, there's a big age gap between the two but i'm still yeah, you're I'm, silly i'm 27 young, young whippersnapper yeah 27 <laughs> Metaphysically, according to those health checks. <laughs> well, according to those health checks, I am. Well, yeah, that's right. 55. That's, where you, that's where you get the 55 from. Although I've started to try to be a bit more healthy these days. You can probably tell by the um, by the imagery. So, um, Matt, Matt, have you been looking at caravans? <laughs> no, um, no, my my current wife is not really keen on caravans. You know, she doesn't mm. like those kind of things, never has. Yeah. Mm. Um, what, but about, no, what, I, what, what about... Retirement community. <laughs> some some days, Andrew, uh, working with you, I, I think maybe I should retire. Yeah, that's that's a present <laughs> thing, but it's not related to my age. I don't think, you know. But I I think because of my because I have had a bit of a checkered, uh, you know, different career across, and a lot of the a time spent. Past, well, been, well, you know, he's been in jail. He said when he said checkered past, he was, he <laughs> yeah, was done for. Yeah, that's where he was going. <laughs> well, just to say a varied career, um, but a lot of that was spent in within industries that you could be quite immature um, in your behavior. So, and then you came to this industry and we, and we, and we matured. Are you, are you telling me you're being mature now? Yeah. Uh, this is about as mature as it gets, I think. And given it's recorded in a morning time, then I, you know, we're not out imbibing with certain, you know, liquids. Imagine if we um, did it at five o'clock for years. Yeah, no, that's, um, that was the last podcast was an afternoon on a Friday that, 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 you know, didn't work as well. Well, that was what good was podcast. The, what was the feedback from that one? <laughs> I mean, well, that was where we nearly got nearly got sued by an unnamed journalist. We won't mention it anymore. Won't be the fu- <laughs> won't be the first time somebody's trying to sue. <laughs> us anyway. no, that's 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 true as well. That's true as well. But no, because yeah, I started trading currencies originally, and that even though it's a, a kind of a you meant to be a fast pace and you know fancy type thing in that environment, it is still it was quite immature and quite um, at the time I was doing it was quite blokey. You know, very, very politically incorrect back in the nineties, early nineties. Um, so you know, early nineties. Like, yeah, it was, that's when I started. Oh, so when I, was, when I was in primary school. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, um, 
Me too. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Um, but yeah, the, like the, the what is it? Twelve years I did doing that. It was it was it was a you know kind of meant to be professional, but because it was meant to be also you know kind of stressful and whatnot, you got a lot of the workplace was give, giving you a lot of leeway to act like an idiot when you weren't shifting vast amounts of money. Um, so that meant it felt like you were kind of you know in in high school kind of you know, and then and then I'm, and then I went and taught in a high school for six years. Uh, special needs kids mostly. Um, so then you're back in high school, and it kind of felt like I I still was be, being a teenager. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where even though I am old it, mentally, I think I'm still, I think I'm still, I think I'm still kind of 19 or something. Sometimes. So really, what you're trying to say here is you've just never really grown up. A little bit. It's like it's like, a, like Peter Pan. Like Peter, Peter Pan. I'm, do you want to know a fact? About and Peter I'm Pan? Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> and Andrews and Andrews Tinkerbell. Do you want to know a fact about Peter Pan? Uh, no, okay, no. Tell, you, oh, I, I know. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say the author was Scottish. Barry John. What is it? Barry. Jane Barry. Jane Barry. Him. Um, he wasn't Scottish. Well, I thought he was Scottish. I don't know if he's Scottish or not. I'm pretty sure he is. I think he's actually English. However, however, he went to my high school. Ah, okay. So he studied there, and he lived in a house next to the school, which mm-hmm. is now a museum for children's storytelling because he was inspired by living in Dumfries to make the story Peter Pan. Oh, of really? His, of his childhood. So there you go. Everything, you know, the old so, saying so used to I be all you, roads lead to Rome. Hmm? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? When you went to the same school and you were inspired to do what then? If he made Peter Pan, what were you inspired to do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Andrew? I, was, I was inspired. Yeah, go on, Matt. Matthew. Peter Pan is a fictional character created by Scottish novelist playwright J.M. Barry. So I he's Scottish. He was born in London, but moved oh. to Scotland. Oh, well. I was definitely not, obviously, inspired to do a history of literature. Born and educated in Scotland, then moved to London. You got it the other way around. So there you go. Absolutely. Oh, well. so absolutely he's a turncoat, he's a traitor. Um, what was I inspired to do? Well, I was inspired from a very young age, about five or six years old. I thought, you know what I want to do? I want to meet a middle-aged man. <laughs> that sounds bad, doesn't it? Is this going back to your Rolf Harris impersonations? <laughs> I want to meet a middle-aged man and then teach him all about agriculture and agricultural markets so that he can... A bit like, uh, what's it called? Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off. So I met this middle-aged man eight years ago after, you know, just various linkages. Then I thought my other dream as a five-year-old was after meeting this middle-aged man was to set up a podcast talking about agriculture and uh, and helping people in agriculture understand about agriculture and wider sort of things, learn more stuff, but also provide information to help people. And so if anyone wants to nominate me for an All of Australia medal for services to agriculture. But I think it was more fascinating that I knew a podcast was when I was five years old, 32 years ago. They didn't exist then. That's how far ahead of the game I was. I think we've got some listeners from Scotland that could verify the, these claims you're making if they want to send a message through, thinking Auntie Julie 
Well, Linda, if, if they want to confirm whether that's a truthful story or whether there's some embellishment there. I don't know. Like, it's interesting. Like, what, what inspires anyone to do anything, yeah? Yeah. Well, mine's so just often, so pure often chance. What, so often what inspires people to do something is actually something that they lacked in, in their childhood. So something I lacked in my childhood was acknowledgement of, you know, how – uh, how great I was at show jumping and the awards that I won and, you know, being really good in school and doing all of that. My family never, ever acknowledged my successes as a kid. And so it it, it had a double-edged sword. You just were like, am I invisible? But at the same time, you just tried harder and harder and harder to please them more and more and more, right? So you became this overachiever. And here I am today, I spend my time acknowledging and creating videos and, and showcasing how amazing our agriculture industry is and the people who, you know, farm and do what we do in ag here to give them the acknowledgement that they so often don't get as well. See, that's, that's so, right. That's right. I've got I've got a different view on things here. Oh, my, my personality is slightly different. I was talking to my mother about this maybe two weeks ago when I was in a long drive. And she said that I was very, and this might surprise people, I was a little bit disruptive at school. <laughs> uh, and what's the word for argumentative, but it's not argumentative? Pain in the ass? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But she said I was, I would have been a very good at debating stuff. And I, was oh, I reckon very... you're, a, I reckon you're a master debater. <laughs> That's very good, Matthew. <laughs> and <laughs> Matthew, this is a serious podcast. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to open up. This is Are You Okay Day, and I'm trying to open up here. Oh, it's the day after Are You Okay Day, so it's a whole week. Are You Okay Day? Oh, is it? Yeah. Is it? Okay. It's actually, right. Are You Okay, okay. Week? No, because because all, right. all those corporate companies have got to spread it out as much as possible to get as much ESG points. What was I saying? Uh, I was argumentative. Argumentative. And if I didn't believe something was right, I would always tell people that it was wrong, teachers included. <clears throat> uh, but I was all of, like, the only reason I went to uni was because my guidance teacher said it wasn't for me. You, t- you wouldn't be able to do it. Wouldn't be able to do it. You did it because you, you. you couldn't. I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> and that's so, how, almost everything in my life has been somebody telling me I couldn't do something. Or I wouldn't be able to do something, or I shouldn't well, do something. But that's what that's what Alice was kind of saying. Then it's you know you you still rally against the you know these childhood uh, ideals of I'll show you, mm-hmm. I'll show you, sir. Um, oh, everyone of- said everyone said the same thing to me when I you know launched my first book. You know, no one buys books anymore, and no one reads books, and who would want a book about that? And and you know, you'll never succeed at that. You can't self-publish and become successful. And all of the bloody one-liners came out. And I'm like, you tell me I can't, and I'll show you I can. So that's that's where I wanted to because you so you, you obviously started in New Zealand, but you obviously you came to Australia to what was that? Just to kind of you wanted to come and live here, or you just started to wanted to tour, and then what fell in love with the place and decided to stay, like, and then and then kind of you know traveled the country is that no I was working on a station in New Zealand and I bought the paper one Saturday morning and it had a job advertised in it to go and work on a station in Australia and it was a local phone number to call and I was like well I'm curious to know what the deal is here and I rang the guy and and back then before things were PC he said to me on the phone he's like I have to ask you this question how big are you how much do you weigh and I was like uh, what like 60 kilos you know and he's like and I'm like why are you asking this question he said 
because if you were a big person, you wouldn't cope where you're going. It's really hot and it's really this. And I'm like, oh, okay, thought nothing of it. Off I went, packed my working dogs up and everything and moved to Australia and worked on a station. And I just fell in love with the country and fell in love with Australia. And I just felt the people were just so, you know, they came together because of sport and footy and AFL and, and it was the middle of droughts and, and people were just so community orientated and I was just like oh my god these are my people they're so much better than Kiwis who are so worried about what our mate's doing over the fence next door and you know whether whether he's doing it right or he's doing it wrong and I just went oh this is my place and and uh and so I came here and and then I actually broke my leg while I was working at a property and those doctors told me that I wouldn't um be able to farm again I don't know why I listened to doctors all that, that time back then but they said you wouldn't farm again. So I sold all my working dogs and I actually ended up working for Pfizer Animal Health, who then became Zoeda. Oh, Seriously. Mm-hmm. I had a fantastic career with them for uh, for seven years, working all over the world, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the US, did a huge tour of Europe, um, you know, and learned some amazing stuff. And then I just got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't want great sales rep written on my gravestone when I die. I want to do something more. And I had observed that, you know, there was all of these amazing studs because that was naturally what I was dealing with, sheep and cattle. See, see, Matt's going to have mediocre analyst on, <laughs> on his grave <laughs> Um, and, and I just saw that these people, they breed all these beautiful livestock and do all this great stuff, but they do a terrible job at telling their story and marketing what they do. And I thought, you know, I reckon I could do that. So yeah, I brought myself a camera and quit my job. And, and my boss said to me, Alice, you'll never make money out of being a photographer. So, you know, classic statements that come out and, uh, and, and away I went. And so the the idea and the vision that I originally had about becoming a stud stock photographer and supporting these clients that I already knew kind of went out the window when I ended up on on that big cattle drive from t- 2013. So one farmer brought 18,000 head of cattle and decided to walk them two and a half thousand kilometres from Winton, Queensland, down to Hay, New South. That was Wales. the old. That was the old. It's an old kind of stock route, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so so I actually coincidentally ended up back at the station that I first worked at when I moved to Australia. So this farmer had brought you Audrey and I ended up back there. So the photographer, so that was you starting to, this, well, this is all before um, AgriShots though, right? You're just doing photography. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I'm just a girl that brought a camera and, and went just... out there and could sit on a horse and ride a horse and taught myself to take photos on the fly when mm. I was doing it all and then ended up putting, um, the, you know, my first book together, The Drover. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to get. So the photography and the actual event of doing the droving and taking the pictures came first and then you thought, what a great story! I'm going to write a book on this, yes. and then you and then you were swamped with publishing offers. So, but you no, decided. No, God, no, no one wanted to know me. <laughs> yeah, no, I I put it forward to a bunch of publishing companies, and they all said, you know, we take nine to nine to twelve months to decide if you know there's a massive list, and you're here on the list, and we'll get back to you in a year. And I went, I haven't got a year to wait for this. I'm not going to let someone else dictate this to me. And um, so I decided to self-publish. So I spent all the money I had self-publishing. I actually took a screenshot of my bank balance the day I hit print on a thousand books because that was the minimum print run. And I how, had zero how, how much how much does that cost? Out of curiosity. Oh, uh, I can't remember off the top of my my head at the, yeah, back then it was what would it have been? It would have been sort of forty oh, odd thousand dollars back then. 
The um so that so you self published a thousand books and this yeah. are, this is like so this book has a lot of your pictures in it of course of the event so it's kind of like that but it's not it's not just a coffee table I've, book I've, with I've just seen, pictures I've seen, it or, I've seen it before the, this is the driver right this it is, is the it's driver it's, is just about that event right and so um I I I published it I hit print I had zero dollars and zero cents to my name so I had to go and get a job so I went contract mustering for for eight weeks while I waited for these books to turn up. And when they turned up, a thousand books looks like three pallets of books. Um, and they rocked up and I had envisaged that I would just go and sell them to, to bookshops and everything, you know, because that's how you sell a book, right? Um, but I then found out for, through one of the publishing agencies that emailed me and said, no, we don't want to publish your book. I was like, that's okay. I've done it myself. They said, if you choose to self-publish, bookshops won't support you. And I thought to myself, well, how do you oh, sell God. a book if you can't sell it through a bookshop? <laughs> So I actually ended up traveling back down the stock route through all the towns that we went past with the cattle because I thought, well, these towns and these people have a direct affiliation with the story. So surely they're going to want this book. It's, you know, it's it's a historical trip. And so I went to like, I don't know, cafes, country clothing shops, saddleries, roadhouses, supermarkets, butchers, you know, you name it, anywhere that I knew people went on a daily basis and, and tried to sell this book. And I got, you know, we don't sell books. We're not a bookshop. No one appreciated those cows coming past. You know, people don't have that sort of money. All of this, all I just got every no there was. And this went on for three days. And I got to the end of it where I was like, you know what? I've stuffed up. And like, yep, my old boss was right. You can't make a living out of photography. Get rid of the books. Go and get yourself a job. So I gave up at that point. And so I just carried on and I just gave these boxes of books away. I said, here, have them. No one wants them. Do what you like. Sell them. I don't really care. And I'd get, um, I'd get, I don't know, 20 Ks out of town in these rural towns and there's no reception if you've ever travelled remote Australia. Hmm. And uh, you'd get to the next town and there'd be a missed call on your phone and be like the previous town going, you know, are you still in town? We've sold out and we need more books. And and all of a sudden, it just went absolutely bonkers. And so I've got no money, no books, no nothing. I decided to sell my car to pay to print more books. So oh, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I've seen it in a couple of, like, corporate offices in the reception. Yeah, that'd be right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the elder's office once. Yeah, that'd mm. be right, yeah. So, yeah, so... Um, but then, so then, but then you, know, you, went, you, went on, you went on to write... Another four or five books? Another four. Yeah, so I was hit four. by a truck um, in 2015. So then I decided to hitchhike around Australia for 18 months, learning to drive trucks and road trains and told the story of how important our transport industry is. Mm. Um, and and then, yeah, did two about the entire agriculture industry and then the winding road, which kind of tells the story of, you know, my journey and it sort of dives back into my my head injury. So it's kind of like part business, part um sort of great outback story parts, you know, really cool things I learned along the way and and sort of part self-development. Yeah. It's got, these, a, um, it's got a sealed section in the back of it that you have to like tear open the last chapter. Sealed section? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> we won't we won't um query is, too much. But I was going to give away the just trying to, the just trying to think, Matt. Yeah. How many offers we've had on a podcast now? There's been a couple. Michael Trant. Michael one. Trant. Gabby Chan. Gabby Chan. Chick Olsen. Oh, yeah. Chick Olsen. Yeah. Alice. Alice. Is there any more? There's more than that. Oh, that guy. Oh, the Italian, Italian guy. Um, yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, Bert, Bertaglio. Yep. On, on oh, 
the water guy, the other Italian sounding guy. So Jay Famigeri. Famigeri, yeah. Yeah. yeah I got it near the you, right. you want to say it again? No. <laughs> so we, maybe maybe we should actually change. Ag- we should mate, we, we maybe should. We should Agbrotch's book review. Club. Yeah. Could could do book, book, book week. After after Michael Trant came on, his his book hit the uh, Apple bestseller list the, be- oh, oh, the week oh, after he came on. Was it? Uh, Apple and Audible. So I'm just yeah. saying, like, yeah. But you've right already, your, but your books have already, your books have already won awards, haven't they, Alice? So I'm she, not sure. Yeah, yeah. They, she they just, doesn't have an Order of Australia medal yet, though. That's true. So if anyone wants to do, it, does anyone want to do a dual nomination for? I'm trying to become a citizen. That's my first, my first task. Can Kiwis how, how become long, citizens? Yeah. Can yeah. Kiwis become Didn't have to go We up can here. now, yeah. If there's, if there's ah. anything Jacinta Ardern did that was okay, it was make things easier to become a citizen in Australia. Well, as, a, <laughs> as, a, as a citizen, you know. <laughs> how, how long have you been here now in Australia? Uh, since 2006. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. On a completely separate note, I had a funny experience yesterday. It's a completely off tangent. <laughs> I was oh, in a, tangent. a complete Hoiberg tangent. I just thought mm-hmm. it was so Australian. I was at a jiu-jitsu class and there was two guys started talking French. And the instructor who's Dutch and been here about three years shouted out, we'll have none of that. This is Australia. You'll talk Australian. <laughs> you either fit in or you fuck off. <laughs> and as far as funny, like this foreigner mm-hmm. basically tell him, that's a complete tangent. But Welcome, welcome to my country, Alice. Thank you. As a, as I reckon a, I've a, seen a, more of your country than you ever will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, an, as, as an Australian, I can say that. <laughs> so, so, so you, the books were published over a series of years, but then you've now how long has how long has uh, AgriShots been established now? So this is a new another venture where you're. Yeah, I like this one. This is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like let's just put it out there I haven't recreated the wheel here or anything right so don't put me on a pedestal but um AgriShots has been going now for three years um it was a COVID a COVID baby uh but the idea has been there since the inception of starting what I was doing so you know the comment that my boss made to me all those years ago about you can't make a living out of being a photographer is pretty correct for the most part because a lot of people uh, doing, you know, they have a model that's one-to-one. They're doing a wedding photo shoot or a baby photo shoot. And so the only one who wants those pictures are that family and, and those subjects in it. Whereas I've created more of a business model that's a one-to-many business model. So I'm, you know, shooting great uh, Aussie images and things that are rural that a lot of people like to put on their walls or they've ended up in my books and people buy the books and things like that. And so the concept for AgriShots did come about years ago, but back then... I had uh, control freak issues, wasn't ready to let my stuff out there. And, you know, I knew if you put a picture on social media, bam, it'd just be gone and anyone could own it. And I just, you know, wasn't prepared to let that happen. And I also didn't have the the business skills and the know-how and and even the content to start making this platform. But I knew that this was a massive gap in the market. And so, yeah, it's always been there. It's always been in the back of my mind, but I've always had way too many other cool things to do, like be out there shooting to actually stop and sit down and make it happen. So when uh, when COVID hit and we were in lockdown, I thought, well, there's no better time like now to actually start pulling this thing together and and bring it to fruition. So I went back through 10 years worth of hard drives and 
tagged everything and you know brought it all to light and found an amazing group of tech people because I'm the weakest link when it comes to that stuff and got them to build this platform and and put it all into the system and and make this you know really cool library so it's you know it's come to life <clears throat> with 40,000 files in it from day one it hasn't come to life with four files as it would have if I'd started it back when I thought about it yeah. so, and it's all you know, it's, it's all it's all your work not like you it's can't all have, my have work. other Okay, yep. so not a, not other contributors or anything like that. Because no. it's sort of it's a bit like it's almost like Unsplash or Pixabay or Shutterstock, those type of things. Yeah, that's right. But we've kind of looked at those platforms <clears> and gone, what what don't we think works about that? And we've got a lot of feedback from people going, what do you like? What do you don't like? And we've made lots of different subscription models and subscription levels and ways people can sign up that suits them. Um, and it's unlimited. You can download as much as you like, photos, videos, a lot. If you want me doing stuff specifically for you, we can go and do that. If you want to use my creative team to, you know, use the content to design up all your pieces, your TV ads, your brochures, yeah. your banners, whatever, our team can can do. Because I, I do, I do find it really funny because, like, I I always see this. Like, there's a, I reckon I could probably find if I just typed in farming girl online. Like, there's this picture of like a blonde haired girl standing in a paddock wearing overalls i can't remember no it's it's not that it's not necessarily it's it's a pretty bland picture but it's used by so many companies it's the same girl it's like she's used in about a dozen different countries must be like some free to view sort of a thing and it's just like all these companies using the same girl's picture yeah multiple multiple times whereas i think We've had the issue before as well, haven't we, Matt? Mm. When we, because we write articles, but sometimes we just got to put a picture on the article, like on the header. Yeah. Because most of our articles, and this is our day job, most of our articles are just charts. But we put a picture on the top as a header. If you choose the wrong type of sheep, <laughs> you will find out about it pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so now I sort of intend. This article's about, I, this article's about merino sheep. And that's, that, a, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a British <laughs> Suffolk. <laughs> That's like, yeah, okay, mate. Uh, yeah. Read the article. Um, but no, like, so so it must be quite valued by like your big corporate companies who do a lot of media. Like, again, I use that word elders or nutrient or. Yeah, absolutely. Pfizer. I think the bit that. Because um, it, it's I've really eccentric as well. Yeah. And the bit that I, I think makes me different from a lot of other people out there doing things is that. First and foremostly, I grew up in agriculture. I grew up on a station, you know, sheep, beef, deer. I've worked on stations here in Australia. Like I understand it. I, you know, talk farmer, do all of that sort of stuff. So, so I understand how things work. Nothing is choreographed. Everything you're seeing there behind me is just as people are doing what they're doing on a daily basis. I just know how to to capture that and have that conversation to go, what's happening today? You know, you read the play. Like when you're in a, in a paddock doing harvest, the best place to actually be is to be driving a header or a chaser bin because you can see what's about to line up and put a drone in the sky and go, oh, I'm going to get this one crossing that one because you you understand what's happening. Whereas when media go out there, there's people out there that are way better at using a camera than I'll ever be but they don't understand what's happening. You know, so these guys going out to muster, I say to them, you know, where are the gateways? What's happening here? Where will you be coming into the yards? Because I know what's about to happen to set everything up in the right location to just naturally get 
you know, authentic stuff that is them just doing their jobs. I'm like, oh, can you take those cows back there and do that again? Like, and and the media <laughs> did that when the drove was on. It was so funny. We there was a couple of mobs of cows that um, didn't get a drink one day. So the next day, when they you know could smell water two or three k's off, they started to stampede to the water. And I knew this was going to happen. So I said, I'll drive the truck ahead today and position myself at the water and get them all coming to water. So got this fantastic photo and all these great shots. And then the, the media get there and they said to the drover, can you just take those cows back there and do that again for me? And we're like, it's too late, you know, like, because they just have no idea. Um, and and so I think that makes what I do a little bit unique to the average, you know, creative photographer or videographer out there is because I can actually have a conversation with a farmer that is just a general, you know, tableside chat or coffee or beer or whatever and and it's natural and authentic which makes all the difference i think and you, and you know what's going on is the key thing that you you know in terms of your positioning and in terms of knowing what's about to happen next that you know you've got that kind of embedded knowledge one thing one thing you mentioned about like the setting up of this agri shots website and it, it made me think too andrew because we get this a lot as well there's a there's a perception out there, particularly when stuff's on the internet or when you're like an online company like like we are as well with what we do for our day job, that and we provide we provide some of our content and stuff that we do absolutely for free on 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 the on the business website, um, but then obviously we do other work that's paid work, right? Um, I've got and- a paper I've got a paper around and Matt works at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 so but and, but and I got pushing- and I got accused of being a bouncer on the weekend. But oh, is it, that's a, one of the. Sorry, there's another tangent. That's because that's because that's because of how you stare at people, like that Scottish glare. That you I, have. I, I should I should talk about that tangent as well. We should add that at the start. But uh, I got noticed as a celebrity <laughs> at your local pub. I went in. I went into the uh, the Civic Pub uh, to watch the UFC because <laughs> uh, I'm not paying eighty dollars. Uh, <clears throat> I was standing there watching it. And uh, well, you, you did pay $80, it just was on drinks. It's on drinks. <laughs> and then a guy looked at me and said, All right, I said, All right, mate. And turned around, continued watching. He went and sat down, then he came back up and said, You're that guy that talks about markets. And it was a group of fellas from the Ring Canberra for the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. But they'd seen us present recently at the Griffith Rice Growers Forum. The Rice Growers, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just saying, I'm a Z list. <laughs> you, you, well, you're easily identifiable with the Just big, gin, on the big ginger beard. However, yeah, however, yeah. one of them, one of them did say, "I actually thought you were the bouncer." <laughs> so, yeah, right was, wearing all that, black. That was another great tangent. Yeah, that's the risks of the all black outfit we've got. Um, so, so. Getting back to that comment, like I was saying, where we provide some stuff for free, a lot of the stuff where it goes, I think you mentioned before that you had some hesitation about putting some of your stuff online because once it's out there, there's a, there's almost a perception with some areas that it's on the internet, I can just use it. You know what I mean? And yeah. when you're doing creative stuff like photography or, I mean, we like to think some of the stuff we do on the website is, you know, it's, it's data-driven. It's not quite as I think, creative. I think, it, there's I, an think, L- I think it's very creative. There's an element of creativity to it, I guess, you know, as well as economics. But, you know, we're in the same boat that we're happy for people to take stuff from the website as long as it's credited. But then there's almost a perception that then anything you do 
is free. <laughs> and you have can, to kind can, of keep, can, keep, can you do, can you do this? Can you do that? Yeah, so that we put great, something. Can you do this? Yeah, yeah, put something out there, and they say, "Oh, that was excellent." Now, can you add this, 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 and this? And it's like that's about three hours work for us. Um, you know, we do. We're happy to provide or something. So, sometimes it's something that's like probably a four week project. Oh, can you just do yeah. this? As I, uh, yeah, you got to pay us sixty grand. So. <laughs> <laughs> but do you find do you find like that that's also a bit of a battle that that people just expect? And because there are some sites as well, I guess nah, it's, it's, only, think- it's only it's only clicking a photograph. It's only clicking a camera. It doesn't cost anything. Yeah, I know yeah. it's not a job. You just go out there and have fun all day long. And yeah. I'd be so lucky to do what you do and travel Australia and you know get all that great content. And yeah, uh, so yeah, it is. It is something that that does come up a lot. And you know, everything I do on farm is actually free for the farmer. So we give the farmers all of their their photos. Um, we make a nice video for them so they can use it for employment or whatever. And they then allow us to, to be able to use the content on the platform and make mm. it available for the industry. So they understand that the bigger purpose behind, you know, why I've made this available and do what I do is about improving the perception of ag and, and showcasing that we are business people, that it is a great industry to be in. And, you know, I'd love it if people, I mean, I'm just one person out there trying to do it my little way and everyone needs to be doing their thing to to tell their own stories. Um and because if we're not, who wants to come into ag? You know, the, we're, we're doing ourselves all a disservice. So um, it does happen. You know, we do have, um, you know, really good discounts and things for um, non-for-profit organisations and bits and pieces. Oh, and like often, ours. <laughs> like <yeah>. us. <laughs> I just heard you say, say you're making profit there. Um, no, we're we're do... not, not for profit, but not intentionally. Yeah. So I make videos all the time and look, I'm happy for people to share them because that's about education, you know, so through my social media, if people want to share things on there, they can do so. And, you know, obviously it's attached to my social media pages. So people are seeing where it comes from and if they want to look deeper, they can. Um, but, it, you know, the more we're educating people about where their food comes from and, and how it's grown and what we do to do that, the the better that is for the industry as a whole. But yeah, at the end of the day, we all need to put food on the table and make a living somehow. So there, there is a line that has to be drawn somewhere, somewhere along the track. I have had a couple of situations. It's quite amazing. We don't, my team don't go and, you know, monitor what people are using and they don't monitor where things they are. But <clears> I have had a few situations where randomly people will come back to me and go, have you seen this website? They're using your shots. And it's amazing how they know that that's one of my shots. And, you know, I'll contact them. I'm like, well, no, they're not a subscriber to the platform. Wonder where they got it. And and it's, it's a different conversation because I'm not just a person out there that works on a farm taking a picture and putting it up where people will just take it off social media. Like this is actually my business. So, you know, I'll have a conversation that says, I think it's only appropriate that, you know, you pay for the image that, yeah, well, it's your it's your IP from somewhere. It's your it's your IP, right? It's your creative. Yeah, and, and the images. I mean, sometimes people will sometimes people will ring up and say, "Oh, we want to buy these images, and they're they we want them exclusively." And I'll say, "No worries." And like someone the other day wanted a, a picture of you know nine cotton pickers in in a paddock, and or someone wanted you know the twenty one case headers in a in a paddock there, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's no worries." Like, what's that worth to you? Like, how much do you want to pay for that? Because a, it's not in season for you to go and get it right now. And B, even if it was, you probably couldn't orchestrate that. Mm. And for me to make that not, I don't go and sell the image. So they see it differently and think, oh, you're selling that image to someone else or you make money every time someone uses it. I don't. It's just subscription. 
So you subscribe and you can use whatever you like. But if I take that off the platform for you, you know, like that footage right there, yeah. 20 John Deere's, you can't go and get that tomorrow. So what's that worth? And why would you want it exclusively? Because the way that marketing moves these days, once you've finished making a piece of marketing collateral, you've got to start making the next one. Because once people have seen an image or a video once, they're numb to it. They don't want to watch it again. So having hmm. having exclusive ownership of something, like how do they measure return on investment for that piece of footage or that image that they they want to have? And I'm like, sure, what do you want to pay for it? <laughs> it, it is interesting because you, you present a lot as well, yeah? Yeah. And we, we present occasionally. And sometimes you are asked to come somewhere for free of charge yep for the for the exposure it's for the exposure it's for exposure yeah and, <laughs> it come, and it's just like and it's and look it is hard like it's a small enterprise the same as you to say well actually i can't afford to come to perth to present for a week for yep. for nothing not even for travel costs yeah so, so it's a bit of a, a sort of a balance between that yeah, and so where I try and work that in for myself is, you know, I sort of have a bit of a rule that anything that is non-for-profit, anything that's community, whether that just be Rotary or or something else, I'll I'll speak for for nothing. But I build my trips in, right? So I never go anywhere just to go somewhere. If I'm heading to New South Wales, it's what can I do on the way down? What shoots can I do that captures content for the platform? Then I get to Moree. I have to do a job for someone there. Then I can shoot some more on the way. Then I do a job for someone at Dubbo and then, you know, get to Tamora and do a job there and then, work, you know, speak at three events while I'm there and work my way home. Because, I mean, even, even just from a shooting point of view, like feels too expensive today to just go somewhere for the sake of of going somewhere so, so but when you're saying build, when, build it in but when it's you know when someone rings me up and says hey we want you to come and speak at our you know national real estate conference in sydney in october i'm like no worries there's a fee for service mm. but even for those ones that are and we do we do a bit of the same edge like you know we'll sometimes do a, a nice discounted restaurant. rate or no we'll do, we'll do a discounted <laughs> rate or you might do the speaking part i've done a recent one in wa where I spoke to the event for free because that that helped us out a lot with some data and some other things in the past. So I was returning a favour, and that was still a commercial venture, pretty much. I, you know, could have charged for the speaking, but I'll, we would still always say, "Well, we don't want to be out of pocket." But you're, you're suggesting there, though, that sometimes when you're going and doing a speaking gig for a non for profit, you're doing the the speaking for free, but then you're also paying your own travel and accommodation costs. Is that right? Because I'm not just going to do that. Okay. Job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm working my way to do something with that. And and so I'll work all the way there and, you know, create content for the platform that I'm still not paid for it today. I'm not paid for it tomorrow. I might not be paid for that for 10 years. Do you know what I mean? But you've got mm -hmm. to balance it out. But then I balance it out with the corporate work who essentially fund my ability to keep traveling, to collect content for the platform so that you keep, you know, creating cool stuff for the rest of the industry. So mm -hmm. it's, I yeah. guess my eggs aren't all in, in one basket there, but, you know, mm. I've got a, a job I've got to go and do in, in Canada and speak at a, at a conference. And, like, I'm not charging them for that because, you know, they do some really cool stuff for me. And, yeah, it's a it's a bit of give and take um, in mm. those situations. Um, but there's a bit what of a... I often get to do, though, is I get to obviously sell books after yeah. I speak at an event. So that often, you know, pays for that might cover my fuel costs, for example. Mm -hmm. And essentially, it... you know, what I've got left is books now, 
I own and I don't owe any money on and I won't be reprinting them because it's just so expensive to do it but they're amazing business cards so even after even after even after all the success of your earlier books you're still continuing to self-publish the latter books is that right nothing's been so that's it why would I why would I give that to a publishing company that's going to go and take the the 50 percent 60 percent of that when I already have over 600 resellers across three countries that I can just mm. send an email to and say, hey, there's a new book or whatever and and retain retain that stuff. But you know when you're when you're publishing it like the two grower books I did, they weigh nine kilograms collectively, right the pair of them. So when I published them and, and, and printed them, I had to print 22,000 copies of each to bring the price down to a point where I still made money when I wholesaled it. Can't mm. afford to print in Australia because I it costs more to print here than what I sell them for. Mm. So there's a lot of money sitting there tied up in the in the printing of of books until you sell it. Yeah, it's profitable and but it's essentially, you know, what could that money be tied up in otherwise? I'd rather have, you know, 300 head of cattle that I'm putting in calf and then putting on a boat to China or something. It's a far quicker return on investment. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking before when you were mentioning not just the books but also the imagery that you're collecting. You're saying you go on a trip, you're not going to get paid tomorrow or the next week or whatever for that image you're capturing there. But it but might, it's, might but it's, come. Building, it's building a bank. It might that's come, right. it might not. But then there's a lot of there's, – there's actually a few analogies to the stuff we do, Andrew, and that's a different field, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of faith in the industry to a degree that, that you're – providing this content, building up this catalogue, you know, and, and trying to tell the story of the industry in an authentic manner, but but then you're not necessarily going to be paid right now for it, right? Yeah. And you may, you know, in some of the things you do, you don't you won't get paid for it all, but, you you know, you're still kind of having to have that level of faith that the industry will appreciate what you're doing broadly. Hopefully, and then, yeah. yeah. And then I mean, sometimes... if you look at, you know, something like there's case headers there or John Deere or whatever, and, you know, you go naturally, okay, I'll contact John Deere and see if they want it. And they go, oh, no, you're, you're way, like, we can't deal with you and our brains don't work with that. We've got to have this structure. So immediately you go, oh, well, I didn't get John Deere. But then, you know, if the footage is shot in New South Wales or it's well, shot well, in you, Well, you could land, do, yeah. Is you got you got you take a big footage of twenty John Deere headers looking fantastic in a header. You go to John Deere, and you say they say oh, I don't want it. Then you go to Case and say, look, I'll delete this one if you pay for it to be deleted. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't want John Deere looking good, so we'll, we'll delete it. You got yeah. you got to you gotta think outside the box. You, you do, but so you know that particular photo was shot in Western Australia, so WA farmers might use it or. <clears throat> You know, um, one of the wheat producers might use it. Pioneer Seeds might use it in some of these. So you've got the natural, like, yeah, you'd go for these guys there. But then it's it's actually usable by so many other industries. And, for example, like Horticulture Australia, you know, signed up. So, But they wouldn't have signed up if I didn't have lots of great horticulture stuff that tells the story of the hort industry. So it's kind of like... And it's a classic. I could come to you and let's just say you you had a business where you sold, um, I don't know, like a particular brand of chaser bin and I don't have many photos of that. Um, you're going to go, well, you don't have much of our content. Why would we sign up? Versus I have to go out there and shoot it and then come back to you and go, yeah, hey, yeah. I've got this great content. Do you want it? And you go, no. Nah. <laughs> so a that is the it's risk a, a, that, that I yeah, face. Yeah. But I do back myself into it enough that I, that I go, I see things really differently and I think what I'm creating does tell a really good story for the industry and whether it's used today 
or or in 10 years time you know there's there's content there that's amazing in fact a, a company used an image I shot the very first week I brought a camera the, mm. the other day yeah. in, a, in a piece of collateral they did I went wow that photo's 10 years old and it's been used today what what like your library is 40,000 pieces of media yeah uh, there's about 57,000 now. 57,000 yeah. now, yeah. So <clears throat> what is the the aim? Like how many will it just be continue to growing by a couple of tens of thousands a year probably? So I put up sort of two to 3,000 new files every month. So depending on what's pertinent, yeah. you know, what's what's happening in the country and what's going on. I'm around traveling. If it's, you know, we've just done canolas and flowers. So I just flew mm. down to to Tamora the other day and did some stuff through the Riverina for all the canola flowering harvest will come up. We'll do that. You know, people start landmarking sheep shortly. So there'll be a lot of, you know, sheep work and things and a lot of um, produce. So just wherever things are happening, we're always, you know, adding to that content, filling filling it out, um, you know, making sure we're filling in gaps that uh, where there's gaps for different things. If people come along and say they want different stuff, like last year we took a few shots of um, of people that just happened to be at work wearing Do It For Dolly shirts and, you know, got it and created a tag in the platform, Do It For Dolly. And then on Do It For Dolly Day, wow, the, everything was from AgriShots. It's like, oh, didn't realize this would be so important like things just come about because people say oh we need more shots of this or I went to uh, a vocag earlier in the year there oh, were yeah. five sites there with the same drone backdrop and I'm like we better go and get some drone photos you know and I've got a drone for sale at the moment that I don't use as much because I prefer to use the smaller ones because obviously they don't scare livestock as much you can get, you know, in closer to headers and under augers without, you know, losing losing things. And if they just don't hurt the pocket as much, you know, if they drop it, bigger isn't always better. And so I'm like, oh, well, I'll sell the big one. And I haven't sold it yet. So at the moment, I use it as a prop in my shoots. Hmm. So I put it in the sky and fly it and I follow it with another drone to film the drone to give people drone footage. <laughs> It's very meta. Using it's very their meta. Marketing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it, it is a case though, like you're saying, of, of of having the faith to build it and they'll come, kind of thing, isn't it? You just Hopefully. you're putting it out there, but then you're hoping, like I said before, the analogies of what we do here as well is that we As do, you, you create a quality product, yeah, and then eventually it sort of permeates. It does, but the industry right. does. The industry does if they if they like what you're doing, they like the message you're selling. This authentic kind of imagery of, of Australian ag or even potentially ag. Do you take pictures elsewhere outside of Australia as well or are they mostly Australian shots? Just Australia at the moment. I've just come back from a trip to Africa, but, um, you know, that was more for just business and personal development than anything. Um, but, like, yeah, the options are endless. Could, could yeah, go yeah. the world to do so, it. But then could, you, could, you, could, you, could you get people to actually, like, sub, like people as like guest photographers who provide pictures and then they get a cut of any time their image is used. So that like I and I'm open to these things and people have approached me about that. We don't track what people uh, are downloading and they're not paying for that. Yeah, image. your system, your systems are a subscription. subscription. Yeah, so you yeah, yeah. And so take yeah, what you yeah. like. So if you yeah. want to go on today, technically speaking, someone could go onto my platform, they could download everything all. and then unsubscribe. But we create a bit of a FOMO effect by always uploading new stock every month. So if you unsubscribe, you miss out on the new stock. Hmm. Well, and it's and it and it's. I mean, like I said again, it goes back to that having that trust and faith in 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 the most of the users doing the right thing. And <laughs> and we do we do a similar thing, Andrew. We provide stuff. 
for free, but we also hope that people will, you know, value what we do. And then if, if they want us to be around long term, then you've got to then sometimes throw us a bone, <laughs> you know, occasionally that's paid work, you know what oh. I mean? And you'll, you know, well, it, it is, you know, otherwise. I just, yeah, I, look, I think look, it's interesting, these sort of different business models and, like our organizations and businesses are probably quite similar in a way. We provide content. Mm. You know, we we always, I just got asked this the other day uh, by, I think it was a pulse trader. He said, why do you provide it for free? Mm. And I was sort of saying, well, we provide this for free because it's generic stuff that we provide because we think it's a value. And we think it's an importance of providing value and also provide information to the wider industry because there's a lot of information out there that's just, made up on the spot as we all know Matt. Mm, correct. But we also we went down a completely different model. We used to work for a company that had a subscription based model that cost money. And then when we left there, we didn't think that was the right approach to take because we make our money from effectively project work and consultancy. Yeah. That people come approach us for that consultancy or project work. All the what, speaking. All the all speaking, speaking or whatever yeah. it may be through what they've seen and if we if we put it behind a paywall well less people would see it that's right and similarly for me like if i so, look so at so, my... so people who aren't paying get a, a free kick to an extent and then we get people who come and say look i need more information on that or i need more specific sort of information yeah. so, it's interesting how it builds though right like back you know to have five books as a as business cards to say to someone hey here's what i do that's built me the credibility that when you bring AgriShots to market, people, you know, if they don't know who you are, they soon work it out. And if you show them what you've done historically, they go, yeah, wow, there's quality here and someone who knows, you know, knows what they're doing. And obviously that helps you build that build that trust and that brand, you know, a lot better than if I was just starting out and didn't have the books and and those things. But I mean, for me, I never envisaged myself, you know, being a keynote speaker and, and I get asked to speak at some pretty out there kind of things that I think, why would someone want me to come and speak at that? I'm not even into that, but it's the story that they're, mm-hmm. that they're chasing, you know, someone who's kind of been down and, you know, come back up and just has had lots of, you know, barriers put in front of them, but always finds a way to come up with something and has created a fairly unique um, proposition of what they have to 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 deliver out there and but at the same time there's lots of wonderful rural photographers and videographers out there there's you know landlines some people take on board you know their their information and how they learn about it so differently the outback magazine landline there's there's a crazy bird in wa who does these tiktok videos and some people love her some people like my stuff like we're all i never see anyone in that respect as competition because to me we're all trying to do the same thing if to, is to tell a better story of of the ag industry which the ag industry is so bad at telling so that people you know appreciate where their food comes from or you know they stop like because it's the people who have pushback and create this perception about things like the caged egg industry like I'll tell you right here right now if I was a chook and I got to choose if I wanted to be caged or free range I'd be caged because I'm temperature regulated, I've got food on tap, I'm safe from predators, you know, and and everything's like it's the safest environment I could be in. You know, I'm not in the sun and things, but that's not the perception that the media has painted to us about these industries. What if you what if you're a chook that was fed fish fingers and hospital food? 
<laughs> Would you still want to be in the cage then, Alison? Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going with I shouldn't know enough as a chook, so <laughs> I'm just going to accept it. <laughs> uh, you're right, it's a- you know, it is this perception that that we're we're given, you know, for it. Like it's the same with, you know, I I put up the picture that's in the background is, is of you know amazing canola. That's one paddock. It's ten thousand acres at, at Tamora at the moment, and I put a picture up of it on social media the other day, and someone's going, "Oh, you know, but it's GM and it's this and it's that." And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Like this is agriculture. We've had to deal with modifying things to grow better crops to make a value you know value for money like those guys that are organic you know the the inputs and what they get for their product is so different because they lose so much you know we've created this world I saw a a thing that came through to me before about coals and flybys and the pictures are of this perfect fruit and perfect vegetables so all of the stuff that's got a blemish or a mark is thrown away. What a waste. Look at the price of lamb. The other day I saw, of you know, the biggest sheep at uh, at Tamworth were making 50 bucks. Like we're in a, in, a, in a world where we can't provide enough to feed the globe and you're going to give a farmer 50 bucks for a sheep. Like how do we get here? Um, but people in the public, you know, they're not telling the full story of that. So people in the public just come up with, with their idea of what that means and they stick with it or someone tells them something they believe it they don't fact check it they don't look any deeper into it and all of a sudden you know they're off telling someone that canola is bad or this is bad or you know caged eggs are bad or yeah it's a, I mean it's a pretty compelling story you tell I can see why you get asked to be keynote regularly um but then from the time that you reached out to us maybe a week ago I guess or something like that um and, and we kind of had a bit of a look at, you know, your website too. We are pretty impressed with the calibre of some of the stuff on there, weren't we, Andrew? It was kind of like, um, you know, some some good imagery there. like some And, and like you're saying, you can see there's authenticity to the imagery. Um, you know, so I think... But now, 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 now I look at it, the more I recognise it from other fit places. Like it was the first time I looked at your website, but I have seen it, the images used all over the place. Yeah. And that you can tell stylistically that it's your images. So it's good. Yeah, what you're doing is great. I mean, and we we've been lucky too with what we've done, you know, when we're going back to that kind of what's free, what's paid. Like we've been fortunate, I think, Andrew, that we've had quite a few, I guess, leaders of industry in different segments that have realized that, you know, there's value in what we do. So they're happy to throw us throw us a bone occasionally to keep us paid paid work coming through. And we appreciate that because with that, we're able to keep doing the free stuff too for the broader agricultural sector. That's why at the moment I'm having to do Uber driving. (laughs) And bouncing. And bouncing bouncing. at your local pub shed. I only do the the bouncer so I can practice my boxing. If I can spot you guys a a free picture so that you can change your backdrop so I don't have to look at what's on your kitchen table (laughs) or the cat walking past. Hi mate, I'll I'll do it for you. <laughs> well, we, we we usually have images on the back as well, but we'd stolen from your website, so we didn't. Want to <laughs> for, 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 oh, for plagiarism better, right there. Better, better remove these pictures, uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, we might, yeah. otherwise we might get sued again. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I but the you know I think it's like I I think it's an interesting sort of business model because it's it's like I I like looking at different business models and how things work and hustles and side hustles and I never like that wanky sort of term of a side hustle but you've sort of really gone into it as like not a side thing but you've gone straight in 
It's a direct oh, hassle. It's a direct, but you've gone straight in from the start almost. Yeah. You put on a line with ordering the book in the first place. Yeah. And, and, you know, from the point of view of like, you know, charging for it and things like, and, you know, people might look at it and go, oh, you're exploiting the farmers. And I'm like, no, everyone that's involved in the platform understands the reason why I do what I do. And they've brought into that. They're happy to be a part of it. They agree that we need to do a better job at telling our story. So they're happy for me to be there you know, photographing and filming them while they do their job. And they also know that I understand ag well enough that I'm not going to portray them badly. Like the platform is fully open. You can search it till you're blue in the face without a membership. So if an activist found it, I've got to make sure that everything I put on there is so squeaky clean that they can't pick holes in it or turn it into something else. And that's how we build the trust, you know, with with people today. But I think through the books and and them coming out and people seeing them, the farmers have have that trust and that respect in what I'm doing. And, you know, we make a nice a nice video for them and we give them all of their images for free you know, so that they can tell their own stories, they can keep it for whatever, they can use it for employment. And it's the agribusinesses who are providing services and products to those farmers. They're the ones that pay to uh, to subscribe to, to get access to the content. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's well put, I think. And I reckon I was just looking at the time. I think given the – it's been an interesting kind of story and I think we've been – you know, kind of um, well and truly um, captured by it because I've just I've just realised how long we've been going. <laughs> um, I do yeah, want to no, was... add in one thing before we finish up is yep. an, an omission from earlier on. Kate Burke has also got a book. Yes. Oh, yes. That's another author. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I know she listens to the podcast. I don't want her uh, thinking that we haven't uh, acknowledged. Yeah. I, yep. I think the point to finish that on there is that everyone has got a book in them and a story worth telling that someone else is going to get something out of. Like, problem, I the problem is Matt's is a comic book because he can't. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Someone I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to say a golden book, but anyway, yeah. five-year-old you might enjoy it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty immature, like I said before. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that was no, it was a really good, really good um, story, and what you're doing, I think, is fabulous. So, um, thank you, thanks for reaching out to us, so we could um, find out more about you because. Um, yeah, we were pretty impressed with it, and that's why we came back to you so quick. <laughs> um, no, thank yeah, you. So if you. But if you're not aware, I mean, by all means, anyone listening, jump onto that AgriShots website um, and, and check it out. And if you're in the industry and you need some good quality pictures and, uh, or a good keynote speaker, get in touch with Alice. If you need, well, first of all, if you need a good keynote speaker, <laughs> well, contact us first. If we're not available. <laughs> Do you want to be my agent? <laughs> uh, do I have to do it for free? Um, no, no, there we no. go. Hey, <laughs> jobs only. Yeah, no, that's it. All right, well, we might leave it there, eh? But, um, yeah, that was great. And um, like I said, if you're listening um, and you haven't heard of Alice before, check her out. Thanks. Um, I really appreciate the yarn. No worries. See you when you got nothing on. Did you go? Nothing on. <laughs>